Welcome to Standing at the Edge. I'm Casey Stratton, and we are back with episode five from season two. And I'm going to start by saying that I do have some effects and things on my vocal with my Pro Tools studio, but we are having some scattered thunderstorms this afternoon. So if you hear some thunder and rumbling, that's what you're hearing. And it actually might go really well with what we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about at least one record and possibly do a twofer. It's going to depend on how long I ramble on. But we're going to start with Solace. And there's a reason why I wanted to talk about Solace. Um, in the last episode, we talked about Myth and Stars. So really, that was a two for two because I went through two complete albums, even though it's the same album. It's double. So I know it's possible to get through two records. Plus, that'll help us get more records in this season. Uh, so in Myth and Stars, I was talking about how in my personal life at the time, I was in a relationship uh, where there were just a lot of deal breakers that weren't fixed or changed and a lot of promises that were not kept and things that just really kind of were throwing me and I stayed in it longer than I should have because when my cat started dying, it was just I didn't want more change. I think a lot of us have been in that place where it's you get stuck in something that you know isn't working, but it's just like I can't have one more thing change right now. It's too traumatic. So I ended up making a few more records, obviously, we know, uh, because my cat Henry died, and then that inspired The Calling of the Crows and The Parting Glass. And then I wrote Sea into Sky, Letters to the Moon, and then Lantern Through the Labyrinth. So after Lantern Through the Labyrinth, I also had a new computer. So that's going to come into it a little bit, because it's going to be the first record I made with my new updated Pro Tools system. But really, Solace is a good place to go after talking about Myth and Stars, because it really is me processing the fallout of not only that previous relationship, but really where I just was in my life with all my relationships. So with that, let's dive into Solace. So in 2014, I entered into a new relationship in the fall, and it only lasted a few months, and it was just full of bumps in the road, and there was a lot of tension and a lot of strife, and so I ended up ending it. Uh, But what I came out of that experience with was that I was really messed up when it came to being with someone else, and I knew I needed to do some work on myself to figure out what happened, kind of unpack the last, you know, couple decades of my life as far as relationships went and why were they not working and why were they so dramatic and why was I uh, like attracted to the people I was attracted to, not necessarily physically, but like what about them? Because there were certain qualities that people would have that would work for the relationship, but also really work against the relationship when you matched them up with my qualities. I'm not saying I'm some you know, angel or anything like that. But I think sometimes when you put certain things in the mix, it can be toxic for both people because neither of your needs are getting met or you just kind of butt heads because you're too similar. So, you know, the thing psychologically, the things that we don't like about ourselves tend to be the things we really don't like about other people. So a lot of times if there's someone that's really rubbing me the wrong way, I think of, okay, are they acting like me when I'm in an unhealthy mode with my type? I'm type eight on the Enneagram. So I like to have power and control, but I like to use that power to help others. Uh, But when I'm in unhealthy mode, sometimes I'm just stubborn and I'm trying to steamroll to get what I want. So in an unhealthy eight situation, I want to try to claim this power to, for selfish reasons. Uh, And I can think of a few famous type eights. One just left the White House recently. Um, So yeah, make of that what you will. So anyway, I knew 
one, I had all these new toys because I had this new computer and the newest updated Pro Tools came with all these sounds and I that you could use virtually, like digitally. And I bought a bunch of other sounds. So now I have this one keyboard and it can trigger thousands and thousands of sounds within Pro Tools because I just set up what's called an instrument track and I can choose from all of these different uh, applications basically apps sound apps that work within the within the pro tools application and so i can just use my main piano to play all the sounds um which before i would have my actual keyboard that was mostly just for playing the piano or the harpsichord and then i had my keyboard i talked about when i was making world medusa that i bought in 1997 and that was using making all the sounds and things like that and then of course i would have loops or things that i would import um my microphone's falling down again excuse me bear with me technology let me tighten it up okay so one i had all these new sounds to play with so i knew that was going to be really exciting so if you notice that there's a big departure in the kinds of sounds i use from solace moving forward that's what was going on is that i had new toys basically and when i have new toys i want to play with them like any child would but even as an adult it's really exciting as a recording artist when you get new sounds when you're a producer or a songwriter or whatever so I had these new sounds, but I also knew that I had some really hard stuff that I needed to process and get through. So the reason the album is called Soulless, that actually is a word that's not really used much anymore, but it used to be mostly used in stage directions to refer to a man being completely alone and by himself. So you'll f notice that that album feels very solitary. It's, there are, you know, there's, of course it's dramatic and cinematic like I like to be, but it is very, it's a very introverted record and it's purposefully that way. Uh, so it starts with longing where I'm still realizing that the grief I've been going through is actually harder to get out of because it grieving made me still feel connected to what I had lost. So I, and I think that it always will. I, I don't think that will ever go away. I think the intensity for the most part, I have some moments still that just bang the waves of grief and anyone who's gone through grief and loss you know how it's just like it's been a decade and you're fine and then you just burst into tears in the shower one morning and you don't know why um so you know the human mind and all that so i started with longing and i also just wanted to make a song that was very dramatic like that as far as the percussion if you are a fan of lorena mckennett you will definitely hear that it's a homage to the mystic's dream from the album the mask and mirror which i hate when people say stuff like this to me but it's probably still my favorite album of hers even though it was released in like 1993 or 1994 um, but it, I also that was the first record of hers that I ever heard so I think for a lot of us we always have a soft spot for the first thing you ever heard like, like the name of this podcast a lot of you um, most if not all who are listening it's because of standing at the edge and people have a fondness for that record because it was the first thing they heard uh, so again like with me with Tori Amos Little Earthquakes uh, with Sinead O'Connor uh, I do not want what I haven't got because I actually heard that record because of nothing compares to you and then went back and bought the lion and the cobra and got into that as well quite a bit anyhow uh also those were albums i got into in my teenage years so we tend to really romanticize those but anyhow i really really like lorena mckenna i've talked about that before how people compare me a lot to tori amos but really i draw from her a lot as well lorena mckenna and other artists like sarah mclaughlin peter gabriel so Anyhow, I uh, start with that record and it's my little homage and it's got a lot of percussion going on and it just, you'll also hear at the end, the solo violin comes back in, which is hearkening back to Lantern Through the Labyrinth. As a producer, I hide all sorts of little Easter eggs in there. Maybe nobody but me will know and that's totally fine, but I like to, it, it makes me feel clever to be completely honest with you. I'm, it's not some huge, I mean, it is an artistic thing, but I'm always like, ooh, that's a clever choice to make. And sometimes as an artist, you want to be clever. I mean, that's part of the deal. I remember Patrick 
Leonard in the uh, EPK, the electronic press kit for Standing at the Edge, called me quite clever, and I took it as such a huge compliment. He was talking about my songwriting. So, I, you know, I loved that. But as a producer, I also try to hide little things. And as a songwriter, you'll notice that I, I often go back to the same imagery, things like the moon, the garden. Uh, there's lots of places I, I could go again and again and again because they're all symbolizing the same thing. So I like to tie it all together with these motifs that go over, span over decades sometimes. So that's where we start with solace, and then we go into doubt. So that's where I really start unpacking, like, I don't even know if I'm capable of being in a healthy relationship. Uh, I know that if I don't do this, I won't be. And Solace, the reason I might do a twofer is because you can't. I can't talk about Solace without talking about Paper Ships because it immediately followed it. I've released two records that year um, because just the way the world worked, and this has been a theme for me, like I go through these really tough things and then something really great happens and my life kind of changes for a while. Kind of like after you know having two heart attacks and then meeting my husband less than six months later so actually tomorrow will be three years since my first date with my husband i cannot believe three years has come and gone so quickly especially with the pandemic and but we're in great shape i love him so much and we're very happy so that makes me happy that's why i always say to my cat are you so happy that's why i just said it like that so anyway i guess it's probably good if i use the same uh, affectionate t tones that i use for my cats for my husband so uh, in this case, I went through all the work of Solace, and then you'll obviously, if you know both records, Paper Ships is a complete departure. I mean, it is like the opposite of Solace in a lot of ways, as far as the themes and the feel and where I'm, where I am as a human being. And this all happened very quickly. So if I don't get to it this episode, I'll talk about it next week. So I go into doubt, and really that is me just saying, I'm not even sure I can do this. And then into Exposed, which is actually the last song I wrote for Solace, but I think it's one of my favorites, if not my favorite, on that whole record. There's something about the way it feels. It kind of plods along with that 6-8 feel, kind of like you're in a boat on the ocean, but it's also very intense and talking about very difficult things, uh, about you know feeling exposed and like how, like how I had gone through all this stuff and like this has gone on a lot longer than I had hoped and so that's the whole thing I opened it one door then another it's like the everywhere I turned to unpack something there was something else that I had to unpack too because it was all woven together I mean that's how we work as people right so we have all these different lived experiences and then that shapes it and so sometimes when you grab one thread and pull it the, the other threads start happening too coming out too so that was really me being like okay I've got this gigantic mess here which is funny that I use that term exactly because in the song Sensate from Paper Ships I say something like is this me without a gigantic mess um so but it is exposed really was me going okay now I have this giant mess and I have to figure out what to do with it which goes into understanding which see I'm kind of on this like psychiatry or psychological you know the way the album is sequenced there's a little bit of a narrative to that arc around you know what steps kind of had to happen so I'm looking at everything that's exposed and then I say okay I think I'm starting to understand what all this is so that's where understanding comes in because I'm trying to say like all right it it was you know a lot of this was my fault uh, and that that song it might be me being too hard on myself but how many of us have been in that kind of doing the self-work mode and just think gosh I really messed up I messed up so many things I wanted to blame everybody else but it's so so many of these things were choices that I made or didn't make and should have made so that's where I'm really kind of being yeah I guess I am kind of being hard on myself uh, so that goes into primal right 
Yes, so primal is where I had to be like, I have a lot of unresolved anger and it has to go somewhere. And it's also a reference to when Henry died. Uh-oh. I wanted to, to scream, but no sound would come out. So I just like, my head just like flipped back and I just was like the making the the bodily motions of wailing, but nothing came out. So to me, it was like my primal scream moment because it was so intensely painful that I couldn't even make sound which is sorry everyone it's also ironic because I make sound to process all of my experiences or most of them or the ones that are tough most especially so it's interesting that I could make no sound in one of the most difficult moments of my life and yet being making sound is what I do so I don't know I just think that's not I don't think that's anything necessarily spiritual. I think it's poetic, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So um, it's referencing that moment because uh, the person I was in the relationship with went through all that with me. So um, there, it, a little bit is of me saying, how could you see me be in so much pain and still not make changes for this to work better? So, I mean, and I guess that's fair, right? I mean, my microphone again is sliding. I don't know why it's doing this. Ugh, maybe I'm not strong enough to tighten it. But I think, you know, many of us have been there. I'm not saying that's the way I've necessarily always felt or f feel now, but at the moment I needed to write that song. I needed to get that out to be like, how dare you do nothing when I'm going, when I've already had all these things that were problems that could be fixed, potentially could change. I mean, I've learned from a lot of these experiences that if someone doesn't want to change something, they're probably not going to do it just for you. I mean, it's just the way it is. So, I mean, whatever. But um, I had to get, I had to go through that. I had to get that out. So that's what primal is about, which also then goes into wounds. So see, I'm kind of going through the stages of grief with some of these songs because primal is obviously anger and then wounds is depression. It's just acknowledging how many things had wounded me over a few short years and how that also was impacting the way I emotionally related to other people. I just think intimacy got really hard for me because I went through a lot of grief and we all know that while we can all be grieving the same thing, we're all kind of feeling like we're on our own because grief is so singular. So I had been in this world that was just me trying to get through stuff and now I'm like, how do I share my life with another person intimately? My friendships were fine. I could do that, you know, but like how having a, a romantic relationship with someone where you have to get that close. I mean, ideally you, you get that close. I was like, I don't know how to do this anymore. So wounds was me kind of also understanding the deep pain that I had experienced. And that's also a song I really, really like. I got to play with my new string sounds and my, my new harp sounds. Now, of course, I have a real harp, but that song has the classical harp in it. Anyway, I have an Irish or Celtic one, so which are smaller. Um, that goes into Vespers, which is just originally Vespers and Rain were actually the same song, but that intro was so long that I gave it its own uh, track with uh, a, what's called a crossfade. It goes directly into, into Rain without stopping but I really liked the idea v Vespers are the evening uh, choral music in, in a lot of churches so as the sun goes down you have the Vespers uh, so it's the, like the darkness of evening coming I actually went to Notre Dame in Paris and saw Vespers it was one of the best things one of the best experiences I've had actually as far as listening to choral music 
Uh, so that's me kind of hearkening to that and using it as a transition moment to go into the second half of the record because as I've mentioned before, being a child of the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, I, you know, side A and side B was a thing for a long time until CDs. And I didn't get a CD player, I think, until 1992 or something like that. So most of my youth was cassettes, side A, side B, or vinyl album, side A, side B. I did also listen to eight tracks when I was really young, but that was more complicated with the four sides or whatever. But anyway, side A, side B, I always have this like very distinct, like this is where the record shifts and turns into what part two is going to be. So uh, that's where we go into Rain, which is again, again, me basically saying like, this we have to just cut ties because i'm never going to necessarily forgive what happened i can move on but i don't and now i probably have forgiven most of it i would say i mean it takes a lot to get me riled up about any of that it's so long ago now but at the time i had to really acknowledge that whole like this will never it's not fixable it's just not and i have to acknowledge that and move on and that can be hard you know when you've had a close relationship with someone for a long time for many years being on your own again can feel strange. So uh, I had to just really acknowledge that with that song. That goes into balance. So balance is in the middle of all of this that's happening just on a personal level with me. I actually went to Toronto or to Stratford, Ontario, Canada, and got to meet Lorena McKennett for the first time. She was having this high tea, and she knew who I was because we had both worked with Kevin Killen. Uh, so she was aware of me, and her assistant knew who I was. I'm sure he told her, like, that's Casey. But whatever, <laughs> that's fine. Um, so she came to the table and said, Casey, it's so nice to meet you. And she sat with us, and we talked for a while. So I was just, like, on cloud nine. This is what the universe does to me sometimes. Again, talking about the heart attacks and then meeting Kurt. So I meet Lorena McKenna. We get to take some photos together. We get to have a nice conversation. It was in a very, you know, in a very small restaurant, so very intimate. Uh, and she was so warm. And I've met her a few times since, or gotten to see her again, I guess, a few times since. Whenever she's traveling, her assistant will usually bring us backstage uh, when when it allows, when there's time or whatever. And like, they, she gives me the friends and family discount on tickets now, which I think is so so nice. So my friends often say, "Your friend Lorena," and I'm like, "I don't know if I'd say that, but hey." But it's been amazing though to be able to spend more time with someone that I really, really admire and respect. Similarly to how I used to be able to to go backstage and see Tori Amos a lot too. Uh, back when we had some shared contacts uh, and we're both signed to Sony too. That didn't hurt. Uh, we were both on Sony at the same time. Anyhow, so I was so excited. And then I had my phone in airplane mode because back then my phone service did not include Canada. So the next day on the car ride home, I realized I have a voicemail. And the voicemail is my dad asking me to call him. So at this point, I realize it's 24 hours later. And my dad's not the kind of person that leaves you a message saying, please call me. So I call him up and he tells me that he has leukemia. So that hits me like a ton of bricks. Uh, he's fine now. He takes, well, he did take oral chemo pills and got him to stage zero. So he's he's fine. But I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, it's scary when you have a parent get a diagnosis and you know leukemia is nothing to, to joke about so uh, I was really upset and I was just again like why why do I have to have these extreme highs and these extreme lows like I just want to be happy for five minutes so uh, that's what balance is about just really those moments where you realize that you have to step up and be there for a parent um, I've had a few times in my life where something like that has happened and it's like all right it's my turn I'm an adult now too so sometimes they need support 
So that's what balance is about. My dad is also a mu- was a musician. I guess he probably would say he was because he hasn't really actively played music in a long time. So I'm hoping I won't quite go as many years as he has <laughs> without touching an instrument. But um, he was a musician my whole childhood. That's what he did for a living. So that's what I saw. So if, obviously we have a lot in common. So I, I needed to kind of unpack that as well, just my relationship with my father overall. We had a while where we weren't very close. We didn't talk very much. Now we're a lot closer. He's a lot happier. Um, he went through some stuff, like I talked about in the Lily Sleeps one, when he was trying to quit drinking, he got really mean. I mean, sure, I get it now, but he said a lot of really hurtful things to me, and my therapist thinks one day I should have a conversation with him about that, but I haven't yet. <laughs> I'm just like, well, we're good now, and I'm 44, so I'll just move on. Um, I, f- I feel like I do, like, again, I have songs like this where I can kind of do the work and the processing, and sometimes that means I don't have to have these super uncomfortable moments because I've worked through it. Not saying that I should withhold it. If it ever came up, I'd be completely honest about it. But I, at this point, don't feel the need to go out of my way to have that conversation. So anyway, it looks like we're gonna we're gonna have to wait till next week for paper ships. But I'll give you a little a little uh, teaser about it at the end here. So chapters is again where I am unpacking the loss of the cats uh, and the, my little background vocals at the end during the coda, um, which I really like actually. Those background vocals are very much inspired by the early albums from the Innocence Mission, if you know them. Uh, Karen Paris, the lead singer, had this great way of making these playful little background vocals um, that kind of sound like your little friends skipping along with you down the street or something. So that's like at the end, it's like kind of me and them kind of communing with all the different background vocals. And I like the rhythms of them and the way they work with the piano part. The piano part in that song feels very much like it's connected to them somehow. I have this thing where I blow a kiss at the moon whenever I see it in the sky. And so that's one way I connect with them in the memories of them and their spirits, wherever they are now. And uh, so the piano part in that song has, to me, like a feeling of of them. It's hard to describe it, but if you listen to it, there's just something, I don't know, there's something like, it's playful, but it's really grounded in something. So anyway, chapters is really just about saying like, you know, here, my, my life has definitely gone into chapter two. I talked about that when I was talking about what happened after Myth and Stars in the last episode. Um, so it was just like the different chapters and, and kind of in the roadmap of my existence at that point and how th- those experiences changed me in so many ways. And my computer went to sleep again. Every week I say, I'm changing that setting so that it doesn't go to sleep after 15 minutes or whatever it is, but I always forget to, to do it. So, yeah, I mean, if you get into chapters and look at the lyrics, you'll see that it's pretty obvious that I'm unpacking that again. That goes into surrender. So what I also really love is that the sounds you hear at the beginning are like recordings of Jupiter, uh, which I also use Jupiter as a, as a symbol a lot, not only the planet, but the, the God. So, um, which I also talked about recently in this podcast. So I found some sounds online from space. Well, you know, however they, whatever they do to, to capture the sound of things like planets and stars. So I use that, and then that's one of my epics, as I call them, one of the songs that are really long. What I love about, at least to me and some of the people that have talked to me about my work, is that some of my songs that are really long don't feel really long. Like, they're long, but like, like there's a reason for it. Like, it needs to be that long. I do tend to write a lot of longer songs than most songwriters, but to me, it's just like, well, if this is what the song is telling me it wants, then that's what I'm going to do. And I like longer songs on people's albums, so... 
I'm okay with it. And I really do consider songwriting in many ways composition. So I'm, and I'm obviously not vying for radio play or anything at this point. So I don't need to worry about singles being four minutes or less. So if a song is long, a song is long. And then there are actually, this album actually has some good juxtaposition with that because Surrender is really long, but feels short. Whereas Primal is really short, but to me feels like a very completed, complete song. But it's one of the shortest songs I have written uh, on anything. So that's interesting to me. But also maybe because it was about anger, it was just like, you got to get in and get out. Um, so it's Surrender. Obviously, that's me really coming to terms with the whole like everybody has stuff. And I'm not saying comparative grief. It's just saying you're not alone in this. I'm not saying, oh, other people have it worse, so I'm not entitled to my emotions. I think we've, we might have touched on this in other episodes, but we all do that sometimes. And I try to avoid it uh, because I, I know like from like, oh, what was it? I've said, I've said it in this podcast, uh, Glennon Doyle on the Brene Brown podcast said, the worst tragedy is always your tragedy because we, th that's our experience. We're living our lives. So yes, people have things that happen to them that are so much worse. And it's important to keep that in mind when we're trying to be objective, but it's also important to understand that our emotions are valid. And I've spent my whole career, both in my songwriting career and my youth development career, understanding that emotions are valid and we need to name them and navigate them and, and manage them and move through them. Emotions have a, a part, you know, a beginning, a middle and an end, as I've mentioned before. And the research is bearing that out now. Emotions, sometimes you're in the middle of it, which we call the messy middle. So you have to let the emotion play itself out, whatever that looks like. So like in therapy a lot, my therapist is saying, I, when you feel these negative things, I don't want you to try to talk yourself out of them. I want you to lean into them. And that's hard sometimes because sometimes I just want to go, oh, stop, stop, stop. And, but no, I'm having a legit feeling. And if I don't lean into it, it's going to go somewhere and it's probably not leaving. It's just going to go somewhere inside. And then one day I'm going to realize that I've got a, a you know, a, a clog in my plumbing emotionally and it's all, it's going to be a bad thing. And I guess, I mean, that's what this record was doing. It was saying, uh Oh, you have a lot of stuff that you never, you thought you processed it but you only found out when you tried to be in an intimate relationship with another person that you haven't processed it. It's still there. And so now the resentments you have for other people are showing up with this person you just got in a relationship with. And that's to me, obviously a red flag. It's way too soon to be having that kind of drama when you, if the relationship is a month old or whatever. So, and also our personalities were just, we're both very outspoken. And so it was just, when one of us was mad, the other one got mad and it, there were just a lot of arguments. But at the end of the day, the main reason to me that that relationship couldn't survive and sustain itself was because I thought I had unpacked stuff that I hadn't. So that's what I had to do with this record. And so surrender is really encapsulating that as like saying, okay, Surrender what you must. It happens to all of us. Or surrender when you must. I, I can't remember. I see it's a, a newer record since it's 2015. Um, so I will never remember the words. But if you, I really love just everything about that song. I love the way it sounds. I love the melody. I love the chord progressions. Uh, I mean, honestly, I'm just going to say that. I'm, I'm really proud of that song. And I think emotionally for me and psychologically, it was super important. So this is another one of those records that people sometimes write me and say, man... I was going through some stuff, so I threw this one on because <laughs> Solus is going places very deeply. 
So again, like that's why I do this at the end of the day. I mean, well, maybe that's not why I started songwriting. I've mentioned this. I mean, I say it all the time. I, I'm a songwriter because that's where I need to go to process my emotions and because I'm a musician. But really, one of the reasons I decided to become a professional songwriter was because once I started seeing how it felt to share music I wrote, I didn't get the same joy out of performing other people's music as far as like classically. Like, you know, singing something by Beethoven was no longer very fun for me when I could sing a song I wrote. And it was scary and it's vulnerable, but it helps me process my emotions. So putting them out in the world is an artistic choice that I make as an artist, but as a human being, I write the songs because I need them. But then one of the most gratifying things for me is when it helps other people. I, I'm always so happy, even when people are telling me some really rough stuff, that like my music could be there for them in that time. So if it ever has been like that for you, I just, you know, it's that matters a lot to me because one, it helps us all feel less alone. People often say that I write the things that you think at two o'clock in the morning, but you don't say out loud. And that's a really nice compliment. I don't know if I, if I would say it that way, but I get what they're saying because I do really try to go there and be honest about how I feel or how a situation has affected me in a lot, almost all my work. But I mean, almost every song has some sort of emotional component uh, or, you know, is telling some form of a story of some kind. And I think it's really hard to tell any kind of story well if you're not going to go there with the emotions and be real and be honest because people can spot inauthenticity a mile away when someone's just, you know, singing the song to make the money. Even some of the big pop stars, you can tell they're feeling that stuff. Pop music doesn't have to be, you know, stupid and I'm all for the guilty pleasures of pop music not even calling it that you know what I mean like why do I feel like as a certain kind of musician I have to have a guilty pleasure to listen to like a Taylor Swift record if I like it I'm gonna listen to it the end so yeah that's Solace oh Atlas is the last track so really you see where that's tying everything up saying who am I now I'm not who I was then and so it's also saying, you know, the, the path ahead may not be clear, but surviving it and getting through it and is how we save ourselves because rough stuff happens and we, need, we hopefully are resilient. Even if we have some really rough times where we're not feeling resilient, you're waking up every day and you're, you're doing whatever you need to do, even if that's nothing. The pandemic has taught me that too, to not be so hard on myself if I just don't have any energy or ability. Even making these podcasts, I'm honest, sometimes it's hard. I have weeks where I'm just like, oh, I don't want to. But I made a commitment and I, you know, I want to stick to it uh, for me, for you, for everything in between. And I really enjoy talking about these records, so I do appreciate that. But anyway, as luck would have it, I finished Solace and then went on a European journey and fell madly and deeply in love with an Englishman. And then we had a long distance thing going on for a long time. And so for just like a for that spring and summer, I was really in a zone where I just my life felt good. I felt content. I loved my job. I loved my being around my friends, my family. I loved where I lived. I loved having Max and Simon, my cats and Wendy at the time was still alive. And I, I just felt really good. I was in a really good place. So on paper ships, I used Eastern religion and, and philosophy as a jumping off point to express happiness. It's one of the only records of mine where all this, the love songs are, are happy ones because I was just, I just was so deeply connected to this person. And of course, ultimately it didn't really pan out. We're still good friends, but you know, we, he lives in England and I live in the United States. But I think again, if I hadn't done the work of solace, I wouldn't have been open to that experience that turned into paper ships and because I had that experience, I think I was ready to meet Kurt and get married to him. I think all of those things had to happen 
if those things hadn't happened, I don't think it would have worked with Kurt because we are extremely close. So whenever we have our rough moments, and we do, I mean, we really get into, like once we're over the, the part where we're angry, we sit down and we talk to each other and we say, okay, this is how I was feeling. And then the other person will usually say something along the lines of, I can understand why you felt that. That wasn't my intention. I'm sorry if, if that's how you felt because it's not what I wanted to happen. But this is where I was coming from. And usually we can get on the same page of like, okay, I get it now. We're good. Let's move on. And I think because we can do that, it's almost like I'm writing a song when I'm having a conversation with Kurt because I I feel 100% capable of being 100% honest. And that's not always possible in a lot of relationships, at least not ones I've been in. Or, I, yeah, sure, I could be 100% honest, but it's probably going to cause the fight to continue and continue and continue because we're never going to see eye to eye. But he and I both come from a really empathetic place. And I think also the work I've done with kids has really set me up to be better with those conversations because I have to have them as the adult with, with youth a lot. So I know how to do it. I have a little bit more of a map of the way through, which fits perfectly with Atlas because Atlas, I say there may not be a map. Or there will not be a map. I think that's what I say. Yes, I think it is. There will not be a map because we don't know. You know, we don't know what life's going to do. We, I didn't know I'd have two heart attacks and then have a spinal fusion and then go through a pandemic and get married and start a new job and all the things. Lots of big stressors, you know, the last bunch of, a bunch of years for uh, so many of us. So, you know, I couldn't have known what was going to happen even from solace to paper ships. So it's interesting how life twists and turns. But those records were really important to me. And I know they're later in my work, so not everyone might have heard them or got or listened to them very often or a lot because I, even I now, when a new record comes out, I don't play it that many times. It's just reality. But I still like to make them, and so when I do make them, I put them out because whatever, maybe you will. <laughs> but you don't have to either. Like I've said, I think you all probably know me well enough by now through these podcasts. However you choose to experience my work is completely personal, and I am not going to be offended by that because I totally get that now the older I get and have been doing this now for 26 years. So lots of experience. So next week we'll talk about paper ships, but as usual, stay well and stay safe. And thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time.